I'm Alex Mito. And I'm James Milley. And this is The Artist Business Plan, your favorite weekly business podcast for artist entrepreneurs, hosted by Superfine Art Fair. Hello, business artists and art entrepreneurs. Welcome back to The Artist Business Plan. My name is Alex Mito, and I'm the CEO and co-founder of Superfine Art Fair, the most widespread art fair for artists in the United States. As you may know, we're also a business resource for all things art, artists, and marketing of art. It's a lovely rainy fall day here in New York City, and we're here today with Andrea Emmelife joining us today from London. Andrea is a 26-year-old art critic, independent curator, art advisor, and presenter from London. In 2018, Andrea launched her private art advisory, working primarily with emerging artists and private art collections internationally. She's also a patron of Matt's Gallery and Serpentine Gallery's Future Contemporaries and sits on the curatorial board of ArtFinder. Andrea has sat on the judging panel for the Ashurst Emerging Artist Prize for four years as part of her ongoing commitment to supporting the next generation of artistic talent. Beyond that, Andrea has delivered talks and lectures at the Courtauld Gallery, the Courtauld Institute of Art, the V&A Museum, Givenchy, Isabel Mayfair, Be Bold, Platform Southwark, and our competitors at the other art fair, Elephant West, Daytable Art, and Marcel Joseph Projects. She's also presented art films for a number of prestigious institutions, is working on a documentary, and is set to become one of the leading on-screen voices for the art world now. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. What a great intro. Yeah, thank you. It's all you. I mean, these are things you've done. I even had to cut it down, so you've done even more than that. Um, <laughs> now, before we get started, Andrea, I want to ask you something that we ask all of our guests just to help our audience get to know the real Andrea. What is the earliest memory that you have of art? And at that time, did you realize that you'd be dedicating your life to art and artists? So I think my earliest memory is, I can't imagine the age, but I want to say I'm in primary school, which is, I don't know what you call it in America, but I'm around eight or nine and I'm going to the National Gallery, walking around, as I guess many children do, and I see the supper at Emmaus by Caravaggio, and I'm just struck by it. I can't stop looking at it. And then... I go back a number of different times throughout the sort of years growing up with this painting. And it's become and is one of my favorite paintings in the National Gallery in London. And I think my sort of commitment and enamorment with this image and cinematic qualities and, you know, just the rendering of paint made me fall in love with Caravaggio as an artist. I then devoured many different biographies and watched all the films and, you know, anything I could grab myself to have more knowledge about Caravaggio and through that sort of investigative process I found other artists and other movements and then I studied art history at university and so I like to think of that painting and that experience with the National Gallery as one of the sort of foremost formative experiences to sort of start my love affair with art and art history and luckily London has incredible access to great collections for free. And I think that living in London has is also one of the sort of great benefits in, so, in, so in terms of inspiring my career in art because you can actually walk into museums and see great masterpieces. So yeah, Caravaggio, I've got a lot to owe him. I love it. You owe it to Caravaggio and to London for having free spaces <laughs> to go look at art. And I always hope every time someone answers this question that we have someone listening who's in 
the municipality of some town or city and hears this because everyone has a similar story. Or I mean, I'd say 75% of people where they had the opportunity to go see art when they were very young with their families or with a school trip. And it just made that impression on them. So it's so important, you know, arts programming, especially free arts programming in cities. So it's amazing to hear you say that. Yeah. Thank you for sharing. So Andrea, you're an art advisor and we, we love having art advisors and artist advisors on this podcast since you all tend to have some of the best advice out there for artists. Mm-hmm. Could you tell us about a particular problem that an artist you know has faced with selling their work and finding an audience and how they overcame it or how you helped them overcome it or anything of that nature? I think the problem that arises a lot is the way that people see art and see the artist practice as an extension from the artist. When you make art, as everyone knows, you set it off into the world and it sort of creates its own, it creates its own story by whoever sees it, they project onto their own experiences, their own histories, their own ideas. But what I think is also very important is that artists find a way to articulate their sort of motivations, their ideas, their concepts with the art, even though it can obviously be portrayed in a different way and sort of controlling that narrative. And I think that's become incredibly important now because of the way that we like to put different artists and different artworks into boxes. There's been rises in art by women, by people of color, by art from different different um, sections, different categories. And I hear stories from artists saying, yes, I'm making art as this type of person, but that's not always intrinsically linked with the art that you're making. So I think sort of establishing a narrative and establishing a way that they want their art to be seen is something that I know that artists have struggled with, but have had great sort of responses and have done well in by sort of developing the way that they write their artist statements, the way that they control their things in the public realm in terms of interviews or online sort of social media presence, and just creating that story and this sort of establishing the beginnings of what will then turn into scholarship about their artworks and sort of how if that art will be seen or if it will be seen this way in years to come. So that's something I'm really interested about, like how art is seen now, how that changes by whoever is seeing it and what we project onto it and how it will last and how that story will be told later on. I love that. And I love that you kind of keep referring to how the art is seen. And I think that's something to your point that I think artists are not always thinking about. They're so eager to get it out there and they're so eager to get it up on a wall and hopefully to sell it. But thinking about how it will be seen and how that will reflect the story that the, their own story and the story they've put into the work, I think that really helps answer the question of, you know, how do you find an audience, right? Having that in your mind when you when you set out, how do I want this work to be seen can help you kind of define who your audience is, if I'm not if I'm paraphrasing correctly there. Yeah, definitely. Cool. So let's switch gears a little bit and let's talk about art residency programs, which I know is something that you're passionate about, Andrea. So there are a lot of artists out there asking, what exactly is an art residency program? Can you tell our listeners exactly what they should be looking for in a residency program and how it might help them go further in their practice and ultimately prosper? The reason I'm really interested in artist residency is because last year I started one with one of my great friends, Ollie Epps, who is a painter from London. And we started it because I am I'm not an artist myself, but I know many artists who have gone through residency programs and Ollie has also gone through residency programs. And we realized that there's sometimes a lack of um, what I like to call pastoral care, but it's probably not exactly that, just like in terms of involvement from the, the, from the people who run it. An artist residency should be a great chance to develop your practice, to create links with other artists, to skill share, to be in a different place. It can mean many different things for many different people. 
the artists that have done the residency, which is called Plot Residency, have been from various different places around the world. And they've come either to create work for a show and to be immersed in a different place, which is mainly London in this case, or to create a completely different body of work that they wouldn't necessarily do. So say a painter would come to London and they usually make four-foot piece and um, four-foot and you know um canvases of art and they actually want to develop their their research or their works on paper and so they'll say I want to go to the Victorian Art Museum and study these porcelains or something like that. And so just giving them a sort of a time period in which to develop the practice outside of the art school environment is much more informal to learn from the other people on the residency and be exposed to different areas of the world. And because of that I know great artists that have had amazing experiences in many different residencies around the world. There's some very prestigious ones that are run by um, you know, museums or galleries or big benefactors and much more informal ones like the ones that me and Ollie run where we just chose five to seven artists. The seven was always the max from different mediums, from different countries, stay in London for a month and make work. And that's supported by uh, collectors that we know. The great thing about that was that London can be quite an impenetrable place if you're not from London. It's difficult to really make a move there. And for some reason, and maybe exactly that reason, there are many residency programs there. Residency programs are usually in beautiful places in Italy or <laughs> sort of far-flung areas that are purpose-built, but you can sometimes be quite remote. And so we thought it'd be a great idea to immerse some of the artists right in the smack bang in the middle. Uh, it was in very central London. But the focus on that, I guess, was industry building and networking and sort of, you know, being amongst London artists. And every residency basically has its own remit and what they think that they have to offer and how they can build the artist profile or their portfolio or whatever they want to get out of it. And I think it's identifying what you would like to see from the experience and what would benefit your practice or your, you as a person or as an artist from doing the residency. There's some incredible ones, like, for example... There's one residency that I'm love, in love with. It's Black Rock Senegal, which is run by Kehinda Wiley. It's a great African-American artist. I would totally do that residency myself as I was an artist. And it's <laughs> just a great example of artists coming together and creating great work and in a beautiful environment. Ironically, when I uh, created the questions for you today, I actually didn't know you were running a residency. Can you tell the listeners a little more about that and what it's called and also maybe how they could get into that residency? So the residency is on hold, unfortunately, for COVID-19, oh, okay. which is the case for many or some, but it's called Plot Residency, and we have plans to restart it maybe next year, travel permitting. I think that's the okay. one bad thing about COVID is that it ruins the opportunity to travel for many artists, and that is so integral to, and in my opinion, to developing your practice. But it was a great year and a half that we ran it, and we invited over, I think, 42 different artists for 14 countries as far as Chile and Peru and Pakistan, US and a lot of Europe. And it was an open court. So it will run in the same format, I imagine. And I encourage people to look into it maybe next year. Amazing. Well, we look forward to that. And since this is a podcast and the beauty of the medium is that someone might be listening to this uh, hopefully a year or two down the road. And let's say that by that time, you know, COVID is a memory. So let's say that you're an emerging artist out there and you're making your work, you're selling it, and you want to find that time and space to really develop your work, like you, know, you were talking about before, and those connections that you make and the, the mentorship and all of the things that you're, you know, you get out of a residency. How do you get an art residency? W what are the steps that you need to take normally as an artist? 
So usually there's a sort of um, a selection process. Each residency is slightly different. And um, open calls, I guess, they also change in format, whether it's, you know, developing an artist statement and a proposal of what you want to create, or it's just sending images in. But usually there's very, very democratic processes where you get your portfolio together, you figure out what you kind of what you want to do, and you send that in. And either a panel or individuals will encourage and look into the artist and see uh, if they're a good fit. Usually they create the, the residency so that it's um, multidisciplinary. Um, but I know that there are some residencies that like to focus on one thing. Yeah, that's the of how the application process goes. In terms of looking for residencies, there's so many out there. I don't know if there's a quantifiable one resource for listing all of them, and there must be. So that's one way to sort of look through. But I think I would also encourage artists to ask other artists about residencies because word of mouth and personal on first person experiences and reviews on their experiences are always great tools what might work for you might not work for somebody else and so hearing from other artists what they've enjoyed and what which residencies they've gotten the most out of is a great way to sort of figure out which one you're going to do that's always good advice just ask other artists ask other people you know like you said there there's got to be a resource out there and we'll definitely look into it and if we can find a good resource we'll add it to the show notes as well you know, I'm an artist and I'm researching like an art residency for myself. Where do I really start? Like, how do I define what I'm looking for in, in this residency? I mean, I guess there are sort of practical limitations in terms of where would you like to go? You know, if your practice might benefit from being somewhere rural or somewhere more um, city-based, whether it fits your needs. I mean, if you're a huge large-scale sculptor, you might not be able to do a residency in depth and well, the sort of depths of central London because it does work on that scale. I think also just sort of bringing, making a bucket list of places you want to visit and artists you want to connect with too. I've definitely seen artists, sort of, you know, they'll say, I want to come to London because I want to connect with this artist because they're doing something similar or they're doing something that they're interested in. Sort of looking and at what actual direct things you want to get it get from it, whether it's meeting different people or visiting different museums, different galleries and stuff like that and using that to narrow down which area you go into and then looking maybe at the alumni and seeing if that fits into what you're doing or how you want to be seen as well. So artists, make your bucket list. Think about where you want to go and who you want to connect with and then narrow it down and just take it from there. I think that's a really, really good advice. This is such a great opportunity that's out there and just really thinking about where you really want to go, what works best with your work and, you know, things you might want to do, museums you want to go to. And like Andrea said, like artists you want to connect with. And in some cases, like you mentioned, the Kahinda Wiley and his residency program, there's other artists that are, I guess you would call big names, people that you might want to connect with, or maybe you want to emulate in some ways, and they may offer this and maybe something that they're sponsoring or doing it. You could definitely do some research and that could be a really good starting point for you. You know, we've done a residency, we've met the great people have created amazing new work and grown and gotten in touch with ourselves as an artist. Now, moving forward from that point, how do we then leverage that and then take advantage of the program so we can see benefits from it over time? I would advise that you plan ahead, create your presence and like make sure that your artist statement, your website, all the sort of imagery and everything is sort of neatly tied up with a bow. And so when you're meeting people, when you're meeting collectors, when you're meeting artwork professionals, you know exactly what you want to communicate, what you're planning to do, what you hope to do and to communicate that and use all of those contacts as well. 
But also I think what's a great thing to stress is keeping up with people. It's all well and good sort of getting into the room and talking to different people and sort of introducing yourself. But if you let that contact sort of weather away or don't keep it up, then that's a stopping point for that progression. I always encourage people to keep people up to date, whether it's a friendly hello or I was watching this new piece, I'd like to see, I'd like you to see it. For people in the art world like looking at art, that's why we work in the art world. And so keeping up with people that you've met during the residency, I think is a huge deal. I still am very much in touch with many of the artists that did the residency last year and many other artists that I've met when visiting other residencies. I think it's incredibly important and um, should definitely bear fruits with a career. Basically, have a plan when you go into it. Think about how you're going to be weaving this into your website, artist statement, anywhere you're communicating. But I think what I really loved, Andrea, and we say it a million times over with regard to the fair and the people you meet there, is keep in contact. Keep your connections close over time because you don't want them to wither away, whether it's other artists you've met, whether it's whoever's hosted the residency, be that a collector, an organization, an artist, someone like Andrea, stay in contact. These people become your champions. They become people who have seen you work. They've worked with you. I think that's an awesome take on it, just maintaining those connections over time so that you can see these benefits in the future once you've done a residency. Andrea, one of the things that we do on our website, we have an artist business plan. And when we break down kind of page by page, on each page, we have an art world myth and an art world truth. Could you give us one myth that artists tend to believe that's not actually true and give us one truth that artists tend to ignore? I think one truth that artists tend to ignore is how accessible curators and art professionals are. A lot of people are very responsive in their DMs. And whilst I'm not encouraging everyone to bombard people, I think a polite DM or a polite email can sometimes be great rewards. I've definitely been in touch with artists that have, um, you know, made an effort to get in contact with me or, you know, seen me at an event and sort of, you know, said hi and introduced to their work. Obviously, I can't love every artist's work that comes up to me, but I think something that a lot of people think that is that these people curators, writers, professionals are completely inaccessible. They very much are if you do a little groundwork and polite and, and um, friendly. And something that's not true is that you need gallery representation to do very well. I think there's definitely seen a rise in artists either working and having close relationships with galleries but not being represented by them or working with dealers or advisors or just you know trying to manage things themselves. I think the model, the gallery model changes and swift and swift depending on the stage you're at and the artist and the art and how things work I've got a lot of friends who aren't represented but have great relationships with galleries and I've got friends who also are represented by galleries and have great relationships and how that works Andrea we couldn't really get behind that I like that you're too both your your myth and your truth uh, the myth being that you know you need a gallery. That's your end goal. Obviously, there are great ways to work with galleries, but we both know, and we come from you know an art fair where we have over 400 artists per year who are most of them, at least 80%, doing this completely independently. And those who aren't are generally having more of like an more equal relationship with galleries versus it being the final end goal of a career. So we completely agree with you there. 
and the other one being the truth that, you know, you actually can reach curators, art professionals fairly easily. And if that's one thing that the experience with COVID has really taught us is when we take away these public forums where we meet up and that becomes not quite an option, or at least not as much of an option as it was, you realize that everyone is pretty accessible through Instagram. And like, I really like that you said, Andrea, be polite, right? It's not like spring your portfolio on someone in a DM and they wake up. And even at Superfine, you know, we get that where we'll have someone sends 20 photos and I'm sure it will happen tomorrow. And I'll sure, I'm sure it'll happen a week down the road, but uh, try not to be that person. Just be a polite introduction, make yourself known. Good things can really happen from that. You work with so many people, you can't necessarily love everyone's work, but when someone shows that bit of initiative, right? Like I at least am like, okay, well, I, I respect that. I appreciate that. And you're in my mind. And if something, I have friends who work in different careers in the art world who might reach out and say, hey, I need this artist for a large scale sculpture. And I'll, oh, that person who Instagrammed me that I, you know, didn't really have anything that I had going on that work with them, but maybe this is good for them. So I love that just kind of making that obvious that you can reach out to people and connect with them. So Lastly, Andrea, I always like to ask our guests if you had just two words of advice for the artists out there to really, really take to heart, what would those be? The first one is a bit more fun. And I think it is to experiment and be flexible. I've got a lot of friends and I've spoken to a lot of artists who have a clear idea of what they want to do and how they want to do it. But then I've also, I've got friends and artists who have had that clear idea and also taken on exterior advice from it, whether it's other artists in terms of shifting their medium or experimenting with different things, whether it's a painter sort of having a dalliance in sculpture or with um, digital or performance art. I think the artists that I'm really interested in now are the ones that are very flexible and experimental. And, are re- and I think in a sort of a world where a lot of things have been done. That is where sort of uniqueness comes from, sort of embracing the new and the unexpected. So I, yeah, a big thing I love is when an artist takes risks and experiments with their medium and the way that they deliver their message. The second one I would say is a bit more, it's not controversial, but it's not as romantic in terms of art, but to really invest in your practice and think about it a bit like a business because you're making these beautiful artworks and you want to establish yourself establish yourself within art history and having the artists that I know that are doing incredibly well have done their reading and their research into branding and marketing and how all those, those words sound so synonymous with businesses and commercial ventures and things like that it all just really harnessing the tools to get your message across and get your artwork seen in front of the right people and ultimately project your message to the most smart people, seeing the way that you make your work and implementing those ideas into your practice can be incredible, especially in a world where social media and self-published media, such as your website, artist statements and Instagram and stuff, that is often the first port of call for many people um, in terms of looking and understanding your work. And there's a great opportunity to control that narrative before the galleries would do that the museums would do that and whilst they still do that in the early stages of career you can really control how that message is sent across by investing in you know your presence of your your instagram making sure your work is properly properly photographed and displayed in a beautiful way making sure your message and beautiful ideas behind the work are displayed people can really invest in you and your practice from the beginning in a very slick 
and approachable manner. I think that is how you establish yourself early on and make sure that, you know, your practice is like. Andrea, you couldn't have picked a better podcast. This is the artist business plan and our listeners are business artists. They're treating their careers already like a business. And I think that is absolutely amazing advice. Invest in yourselves, treat yourselves a little bit more like a business so that you can keep making the amazing work and really control your story, especially at that early part of your career where no one else is controlling it for you. So really take advantage of that opportunity, especially like Andrea said, when people's first port of call is Instagram or a website. There's such an opportunity here to really take advantage of that. And again, investing in yourselves and treating your career a bit more like a business. I love that. Awesome. You couldn't have ended on a better note either. (laughs) So thank you so much, Andrea. And to all of you business artists out there, Andrea's been here with us today, sharing her amazing perspective and so, so much value with you all. And you're going to want to jump over to the Superfine Art Fair website to check out the show notes. You can find those by visiting www.superfine.world and clicking Artist Business Plan Podcast up at the top. If you want to connect with Andrea to learn more about her work, just visit her Instagram at Andrea London. That's A-I-N-D-R-E-A London. And you can shoot her a DM and she may respond. As always, remember we're Superfine Art Fair on Instagram. If you want to give us a quick hello or learn more about how to apply for and exhibit at one of our upcoming fairs around the US, just drop us a line at artistsmakingmoney at superfine.world. That's artistsmakingmoney at superfine.world. As always, I'd like to end this podcast by sharing a quick quote with you all. And today that quote is, love yourself first and everything else falls into line. You really have to love yourself to get anything done in this world. And that is Lucille Ball from I Love Lucy. Andrea, it has been such a pleasure having you with us here today. Thank you for joining us. Thank you so much. I loved it. <laughs> yeah, no, it's a pleasure. Hope to have you back again. Everybody else, have an awesome rest of your day. And remember to stay on top of your artist business plan, get out there and make it happen. Thanks for joining us for another episode of The Artist Business Plan, a weekly business podcast for artist entrepreneurs brought to you by Superfine Art Fair. Hosted by Superfine CEO Alex Mito and co-founder slash professional artist James Milley, join us and leaders in the art, marketing, and business arenas each week for tips, tricks, and value bombs designed to help you thrive and sell more art. For more information on applying to Superfine Art Fair, as well as recordings of this in all of our past podcasts, just visit www.superfine.world. We love to hear what you have to say, so just follow us on Instagram at Superfine Art Fair and shoot us a message to let us know you're listening. Looking for a more personal connection or want to exhibit at an upcoming fair? Just shoot us an email at artistsmakingmoney at superfine.world and we'll get right back to you. That's artistsmakingmoney at superfine.world. Thank you.